The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is a much warmer Sunday than it was last last week, that's for sure. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm just curious, how many of you celebrated Advent when you were a child? So about a quarter of you celebrated Advent. How many of you have no idea what Advent is? Okay, about the same. Um, I grew up in I grew up in a Presbyterian church. So every year, as we would roll into December, our church would celebrate Advent. We would have an Advent wreath at the front of our at the front of our sanctuary in our in our church building, and then each week a different family would light the the candle that represented that week's theme, and. As we were talking about what we were going to do this year for Christmas to celebrate Christmas, my suggestion was we, we celebrate Advent. We talk about the things that churches over the past several centuries have celebrated, why they've celebrated those things, what the purpose of Advent is. And it's really a preparation for Jesus. And it's not a preparation for Jesus coming the first time, but it's a preparation for him coming again, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, But first off, if you have your Bible, I would love for you to open it to Matthew uh, 24. We're going to read that here in a few minutes. But I I just want to take a moment, too, and point out just the level of creativity that people demonstrate in in our church body. I don't know about you, but when I come in here as we get ready to uh, start a new series like we're doing today. Um, I don't very often get to see these things in advance. They give me a little hint of of what the of what the auditorium is going to look like, of what the stage design is, of what the photo area in the back is going to look like. But when you walk in here, frequently I've seen it for the first time on a Sunday morning as well. So we just have a tremendously talented uh, creative arts team. <clears throat> And then secondly, as we were talking about Advent, one of the things that, that we wanted to do was have, have a video like we just showed you. And I was trying to figure out in my mind like what that would look like and shared, shared some vision uh, with Shane. And we talked and we came up with a name. We came up with Jen Dillinger, um, who uh, joined Westway just a few weeks ago. And I sent her a message on Facebook and said, hey, we're getting ready to celebrate Advent. And... Because of what you do professionally in your job, and because you're a creative person, we're wondering if you would write something for us for Advent. And kind of here's, here's in my mind, and like four hours later, she sent me back an early version of what you just heard, um, heard her say. And I love the way at Westway Christian Church, how people who have different talents and gifts and skills can utilize those talents, gifts, and skills for the kingdom. And I would encourage you here, if you are, if you're, obviously you're in this room this morning. If you're a part of this body, or even if you're not a part of this body, and you're trying to figure out a way to use the gifts and talents and skills that God has for you, I would encourage you to just start somewhere. 
to take a risk. Because in my mind, I would imagine when, I, when Jen got that, that text, if someone sent me a text like that, I would immediately be filled with anxiety over what I was supposed to write, what I was supposed to create. And I don't know if she was or she wasn't, but she just, she just did it. She just served. And I would encourage you, if you're looking for ways to use your gifts and talents and skills that God has given you, to just start doing that, to just try something um, different. If you have questions about Advent or if you have questions about our message today, I would encourage you to send a text to, um, to the number that's on the screen. Uh, we do a Tuesday Q&A video each week on Facebook where we answer those questions. Um, and I would love to talk more, more about Advent. As I said, what, what, what I find most interesting about Advent is there are really two different streams for Advent. The first stream is, is when we talk about Advent, we're, we're sort of identifying with the people who were waiting for Jesus to come the first time. Joe talked quite a bit about this last year when we began our Christmas series last year. But, but Advent, in part, is an identification with people of the Old Testament and people of the New Testament who were waiting for Jesus to come. They were waiting for a Messiah to come who was going to fulfill all of these, all of these Old Testament prophets, prophecies that, if you've grown up in church, you're probably pretty familiar with. The prophecies of hope and peace, and love, and joy. And throughout the, throughout the month of December, you're going to find references to those prophecies in your bulletin. So I would encourage you each week to take a look inside of your bulletin and, and read the different texts throughout the week and help you think about that week's particular theme. But there's another part of Advent, and that is what we are doing right now as Christians. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. And not so strangely, we're waiting for the return of Jesus for the exact same reasons that they were waiting for Jesus to come the first time. Hope and peace and joy and love. We, we're living in anticipation and an expectation of those exact same thoughts. So this is really a season for us as, as, as we gather together as as our own church body, but churches all around the world gather together, we're living in that same anticipation that people in Jesus' day were filled with and waiting for uh, Messiah. And I know for, for some Christians, the, the return of Jesus is, is the focal point of their lives. And as Christians, we should all be very, very, very interested in the return of Christ. But for some Christians in particular, the focal point of their interest in the return of Christ is, is trying to figure out when he's going to come back, right? These are, these are people, um, you probably know them, people who pour through the book of Revelation, like looking for every little hint and clue of when Jesus is going to return, or watching hour upon hour of YouTube videos, trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return, well, what does Jesus have to say about his return? Let's go to Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44, and hear what he has to say to us. <clears throat> However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. 
Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Well, I don't know about you, but that's kind of disappointing, isn't it? When we think about all the time, maybe, that we've spent trying to crack the New Testament code to determine when Jesus is coming back, all of that time and effort, and what does Jesus have to say to us when we do that? You're not going to know. You're not going to know. So all we have to do, all we can do, as people who are waiting for this return, is to wait Have you ever watched a pot while you are waiting for it to boil? Doesn't it seem like it takes ten times longer? So one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, is how do we wait? How do we hope is how I put it on my my Facebook page yesterday. How do we hope? Let's... Let's understand a little more about what's going on in this text in Matthew this morning. Jesus has just told his disciples in no uncertain terms that he was leaving them, that he was going to be killed, but that he would be back at the end of time. That's that's what's going on in this, which is a really weird place to start a series on Christmas, isn't it? At the end of the story, why why begin here? Why start here? here. He gave them only one clue about when he was going to come back, and he talks about Noah. Isn't that strange? This is when I'm going to return. This is how I'm going to return. In Genesis chapter 6, God looked at the extent of wickedness on, on the earth, and he was sorry that he made mankind. And there was just one person who was different, And this person was Noah, and he was blameless, and he walked in close relationship with the Lord. Now here we should start to see a parallel, right, between Noah and Jesus, a similarity between those two characters. So God went to Noah and told him and his family to build an ark because he was going to flood the entire earth, killing everything and everyone on it. Here's one of the interesting things as we we read Genesis chapter 6. Noah had no idea when the flood was going to happen. If you read in the story, there's no no hint. There's no timeline given. God just says, I'm going to flood the earth. So what did Noah do? I think Noah demonstrated an active hope. He started to build the ark. 
He hoped that what God was saying was true. So he went out and he started to build the ark. So how about all of the other people in Noah's time? What was, what was their response to, to observing Noah building this ark? What did they do in the midst of this promise? Well, Jesus tells us. He says they lived lives that were filled with banquets and weddings. They were self-indulgent. And here's, here's the thing. They, they were without hope because people who find joy in themselves don't need hope. People who are self-sufficient, people who are self-indulgent, people who find joy and satisfaction in the things of this world don't really need the kind of hope that God is offering to them because they, because they feel like they're lacking nothing. These people in Noah's day were really living a pretty good life of self-sufficiency and self-indulgence. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. So why do they need hope? Jesus has this to say to the church at Laodicea. This is in Revelation. He says, You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. See, the people of Noah's day had, had no reason for hope because for them, life was one party after another. They were complacent and they were apathetic to the realities of life around them. And in the same way, the people in the church at Laodicea had everything they needed in their own self-sufficiency. That's why Jesus is writing this letter to this church. They were complacent. They were apathetic. And, and Jesus is warning them, he's telling them, because you are neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. See, the hope of self-sufficiency is false, and it's fleeting. Because there's not a person in this, in this room today whose life wouldn't change at one single phone call. Each one of us could receive a phone call from someone, from something that happened in, in a friend's life or a family member's life that would change our lives forever. So, so this veneer of self-sufficiency, this veneer of self-satisfaction is only a veneer. See, parties and banquets and Especially this time of year, thank the Lord for Amazon Prime two-day delivery. Like that, that provides us with a veneer of control. It's kind of interesting. Like we have the items, these things that are lit up on stage behind us. And I can actually... Turn them off and on from my phone if I want to. All of that contributes to our desire for control, doesn't it? I can control the lights. What else can't I control in my entire life? So a question that we have to ask ourselves is, is for these people in Noah's day who just weren't paying attention, 
who completely missed out because they were distracted by what was going on in the world around them. We have to ask ourselves, are we those same people? People who are filled and surrounded with distraction. Well, we all know the answer to that question. We know the answer to that question is yes. In 1985, a gentleman by the name of Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard of that book. Here's, here's the idea behind his book, and I want you to listen carefully. He says, people will come to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. People will come to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. I won't ask this question, or you don't have to answer this question, but how many of you were alive in 1963? You don't have to raise your hand to that. For those of you who were alive in 1963, I wonder if you remember where you were on November 22nd of 1963, when you heard the news that President John Kennedy had been assassinated. What's interesting about November 22nd, 1963, is John F. Kennedy wasn't the only, the only person of note who died on November 22nd of 1963. Authors Aldous Huxley and C.S. Lewis also died that same exact day. Many Christians are familiar with author C.S. Lewis through his, through his children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I've read from those before on Sunday mornings. They're not just children's books. They're books for adults, and I really recommend that you read them. But he's also known for a number of other Christian classics, including Mere Christianity and the Screwtape Letters. But I wonder... Aldous Huxley, maybe you're not quite so familiar with Aldous Huxley. Um, he wrote a book called Brave New World. Has anyone, does anyone know who Aldous Huxley is or Brave New World? How about 1984 by George Orwell? A little more familiar with that. So those, are, those, those books are similar. Brave New World and 1984 are pretty similar. If you have a smartphone and you're not already looking at it. If you have a smartphone and you're not already looking at it, I, I would like for you to hold it while I, while I read this next quote from Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. So I want you to, I want you to hold your precious while I, while I read this quote from Neil Postman. I want you to listen carefully. What Orwell, the writer of 1984, feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley, the author of Brave New World, feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book because there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much information that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. 
Orwell feared that we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared that we would become a trivial culture. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny failed to take into account man's most infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, Orwell added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they're controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we fear would ruin us. Huxley feared that what we desire will ruin us. Are we really that different from the people in Noah's time? A time of distraction? When Jesus arrived that first time, when he, when he entered into the world in that manger, I'm convinced that, that the day of his birth was just like any other day in history. It was just a normal day. And the people all around him, they, they had grown up hearing the stories of a Messiah who was coming. They had read the prophecies, they'd heard the prophecies read over them, and while they were a people who believed in this Messiah's coming, and they hoped in this Messiah's coming, they even knew that the Messiah was coming, I think they just weren't ready for him. They weren't ready for this Messiah. And what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 24 is he's reminding his disciples to be ready. Because they just didn't know when he was going to come back. And isn't that his warning to us? Isn't that his statement to us to be ready because, because I'm coming back? Two people will be scooping snow one December day in western Nebraska. And one will be taken and the other will be left. Maybe it'll be during Old West Balloon Fest just as they light up all of the balloons that night. Some people are going to go and some people are going to stay. So where's the hope in this? I thought, I thought we were talking about hope today. Where's the hope in this story? And I think, I think the hope is in Jesus' words. Be ready. Be ready. That's, that's the hope, is to be ready. He, he doesn't tell them, notice, he doesn't tell them how to, to, to spend all of their time trying to figure out when and how and where he's going to return. He, he doesn't tell them to do that. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them to develop a theology called the rapture and then try and convince everyone else of how wrong they are and you're the only one that's right. See, Jesus tells us to be ready. He tells us to live an active hope. To live an active hope. He tells them a story. If we look a few verses down, let's, let's read from Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five were, who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise. They were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. 
At midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. See, the way for the disciples to be ready for the return of Jesus was to act. The wise disciples were the ones that that had oil lamps with oil that was ready to go, that was ready to be lit. My guess is it wasn't a common practice for the bridegroom to show up at midnight the night before his wedding. I don't think if, ladies, if when you are getting married... I don't think your expectation would be for your fiancé to come rolling into town the night before the wedding at midnight, having not seen him for a few days. But just like most bridegrooms don't miss their weddings, Jesus isn't going to miss his own return. He is coming back, and he's coming to save his people, and he's coming to deliver them. And he, he knows the realities and the hardships of the world that we face. And he's coming back for us. And and we don't want to mistake his, his delay for apathy or unconcern. Peter says this in 2 Peter. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. As as we wait for this return of Christ, as we hope for this second coming of Jesus, We must not fall into a mindset of apathy. We must not fall into a mindset of self-sufficiency while we wait. What Jesus said to his disciples was that the people of Noah's day, they didn't know it was going to happen until it started to rain. It started to come until it happened, until it began. He told the church at Laodicea that they didn't recognize how wretched and miserable and poor and blind that they really are. And see, we have to ask ourselves questions like, what makes us think that we're not equally blind? What makes us think that we are not equally apathetic? Who do we think we are that we couldn't fall into the same kind of distractions that the people in Jesus' day fell into, that the people of Noah's day fell into? Our hopefulness in the return of Christ is an opportunity, it's our opportunity to wake up from our slumber. 
We've been given a gift. We've been given time. And with each passing second and each passing minute and hour and day, we have been given opportunity to wake up from our distraction, to set aside our self-sufficiency and to be ready, to act in hopefulness, to wait in hopefulness. And Peter continues. He says, He, the Lord, does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves in the fire will disappear, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. I find it so fascinating that the metaphor Jesus uses to being prepared is lighting a lamp. We're celebrating Advent this year in an active way. And this is not this is not simply a way for us to remember of what it must have been like for those early people to wait for Jesus. If all we do is identify with them, then we are completely missing the point. What we are called to do as Christians is to hope in an active way for us to actively demonstrate what we are desiring. We talked about this a few weeks ago in Ephesians 5. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So how do we wait? How do we have this hope? How do do we prepare? Do we just live lives of of just getting by? Is, Is that what God is calling us to? We've talked about this verse so many times, but but Christ came so that we would have life and we would have life to the fullest. That we would not fall for the, for the fake fulfillment of self-sufficiency. As good as that can feel to be self-sufficient, it doesn't last. Jesus is returning, and it could be at any moment. It could literally be at any moment. And, and we've been given the opportunity to be ready for him We can be ready for the return of Jesus. What a tremendous opportunity. Because unlike that first time, they didn't didn't know when he was coming. And I know we don't know when he's coming back, but he is coming back. In the same way that he came the first time, he is returning. We've been given the opportunity to to be ready for him. To not, to not be scrambling around in the last moment when he shows up. But to truly be ready for him. To not live a, live a religious life of just covering our bases, but to actually be ready for him. And when we're ready for him, we respect him, we honor him, we demonstrate love for him by being ready. By doing the things, by living the life that indicate that we are ready. 
our actions are the ways that we hold up this light that Paul talked about in Ephesians. There are demonstrations of this hope. And this is why it is so critical for us to demonstrate light in the culture that is around us, in a culture that doesn't have any hope because they don't see their need for it. And sometimes as Christians, we don't demonstrate what it properly looks like to live a life of light because we are self-sufficient. Because we are self-indulgent. So when the world looks at us and sees no difference between us and them in the way that we hope, why would they ever want to wait? This is not our story. And the question is, are you living like you have the hope of Christ within you? Jesus is coming back. A few weeks ago, I saw this on Twitter. On November 22nd, 1963, JFK, Aldous Huxley, and C.S. Lewis all died. Camelot was the illusion Brave New World was the nightmare. Live like a Narnian. Let's pray. God, your word says that Jesus is coming back. Your word tells us that that we live a life of honor when we when we're prepared, when we're ready, when we're not scrambling around. In a season where it feels like all we do is scramble, help us, help us this week to take time to, to find hope, to evaluate our hope, to evaluate the way in which we hope, to evaluate the way in which we look ahead to what your son is going to do when he returns. He's going to love and he's going to save. Help us to bear our lights well. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.